This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. While the world of impact investing is designed to improve the situations of many people around the globe, recently Wharton grad Doreen Shanaz, who is the founder of Impact Investment Exchange, started a women's livelihood bond that will be actively traded on the exchange in Singapore. The goal is to help the lives of and initiatives of women in that part of the world. Doreen is in Philadelphia today, and she joins us here in our studios to talk about the uh, the company and uh, what she is doing. Also with us is Nick Ashburn, who is co-host of Dollars and Change right here on Sirius XM 111 every Thursday at 8 a.m. Doreen, nice to meet you. Thank you for coming in today. Thank you for having me. Nick, great seeing you again. Nice to see you, Dan. I, I, you guys talk about impact investing quite a bit on, on your show, and, and I guess I just wanted to, for you at first to give us a scope of, of what the state of impact investing is, both in the United States, but what you think it is around the world as well. Sure. So it is quite interesting, depending on you know where you live, where you're deploying capital, where you might be receiving capital. Um, I think regardless, though, there's a lot of buzz and hype uh, around the industry right now. Some positive, some negative. Um, Folks like the U.S. Forum for Sustainable and Responsible Investment here in the U.S., uh, they do a survey every couple of years. And, you know, they're reporting that there's about $8.7 trillion in the U.S. that sort of is earmarked um, for sort of environmental, social and governance type of things or impact investing, too. Right. It's actually up from 33 or up 33 percent from 2014. So it's a big increase. But when you talk to the big banks here in the U.S., they're not necessarily actually seeing that type of capital move. Like a 33% increase would be quite visible within the bank. So there's sort of, you know, there's a debate. But what I will say is that I do think the macroeconomic trends of the preferences of women, the preferences of millennial investors, that's real. And I do think that investors are taking that really seriously. Um, And so so there's sort of that. But I, I will say that there's a lot of experimentation um, in terms of capital structures and how we do impact investing. And I think that's what really leads us to our conversation today. Doreen, what do you think it is the state of it right now? Well, before we talk about the state, I think it'll be probably good to just to define it, you know, what it is. So um, with impact investing, it really means investments which are done with the intention of creating social and environmental good. So which means that at the core of it, you need to have that social change and the environmental change in a positive way to happen with that investment. So um, just like any other market, you need the supply side of the capital, you need demand side of the capital, you need platforms for them to come together, and you need structures to come together. So so I think in terms of uh, what Nick said, absolutely, you know, there is a lot of good intention on the supply side of the capital, mm-hmm. but on the demand side of the capital, we have to actually get organizations ready, we actually have to have structures in place. We need to have platforms in place. And interestingly, we do see um, you know, uh, Impact Investment Exchange, IX, which I founded eight years ago. We were one of the pioneers in this space. Right. Um, we literally, I was part of the team you know, which kind of started the whole term impact investing and uh, also the measurement side of the impact. And I think what's been very interesting in Asia over the past eight years, we have really grown by leaps and bounds in terms of the space. And I think a big part of it is, I always use the analogy of how mobile phone just took over, right, in Asia. Because again, we didn't have that many landlines. So when Mm -hmm. mobile phone came, it was by leaps and bounds. It's exactly the same way. So I think in the US, perhaps um, things are a little slower because um, you do have a financial market which is very established and you have a lot of products there. 
There's a lot of talk about ESG um, because impact investing is not ESG. It is much deeper, much more beyond. Mm -hmm. um, and I think what's happening a little bit is the fact that um, I just get the sense, at least in the U.S., people are looking at each other and thinking someone else will start it and someone else will actually do it. But uh, the intention is there, but I think it has not kept up with the the supply of the capital, you know, which is there. I mean, Nick, won't you say that? I, I, mean, I absolutely agree. Yeah. When, how did uh, how did you start uh, Impact Investment Exchange? Give us the backstory on that. Well, um, you know, it all kind of goes back to um, 1989 when I came out of Smith from undergraduate and I actually joined Morgan Stanley. So you have to remember, yeah. um, in those days, there were very few women. Um, in Wall Street, let alone anyone from Bangladesh, sure. where I'm originally from. Yeah. And I think the one of the big learnings for me was really seeing where I was coming from and seeing actually the bastion of, of wealth. And there was such a disconnect. So it really was from there I started, you know, sort of things started forming in my head. Then I went and joined um, this bank, which actually eventually got a Nobel Prize called Grameen Bank, who were doing this whole practice of microfinance, giving very small loans to the rural women to start up their business. So this is back in 91, 92. Right. So if you think about it, I went from Wall Street literally to the back street you know, yeah. of, of the world. And what impact investing, if you fast forward, this is exactly what impact investing is trying to do now. So um, back in uh, 1999, I started my first company, um, which was a global marketplace for handmade goods. It was the Itsy of its time, and uh, and I grew it, and I sold it to uh, National Geographic. And I think one of the big lessons for me there was how difficult it was to have a company which had a social side, but the investor didn't care about the social side. And right. it was very difficult because, you know, if you think about it, um, what did Milton Friedman say? Uh, Milton Friedman said, you know, basically the you are, uh, as a company, you're, you're task is to maximize profit, right? So that's how what we are taught. But it is really not about maximizing profit. It's actually maximizing value. And part of the value is, you know, what good you're doing to the to the society, what good you're doing to the environment as well, because or else you won't survive as an organization. Um, and I think that that spirit of it wasn't there, you know, in the in the early, you know, sort of uh, late 90s, early 2000. But interestingly, I think when the financial crisis happened in 2008, that was a big eye-opener for everyone, mm -hmm. that you cannot be just pushing the system to always just really maximize profit with, in sacrificing you know, the other components. And that is when Rockefeller Foundation, and I really salute them for their uh, innovation, they're the ones who brought a group of people together um, in Italy. They have this wonderful place in Bellagio. It's really gorgeous. Yeah. And uh, and they basically got us together. And I still remember when I got that email, I thought it was one of those Nigeria emails, you know, like, okay. Right, right. Because I got this invitation and, and they said, you're invited because we really like your writing and... We've got $10 million exactly. waiting just, for just you. Just give your bank account. <laughs> right, because, exactly. Because the Bellagio Center is on Lake Como. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Right. So it makes you, you know, you almost have to, because you feel so guilty that they're paying for everything and brought you here, you're like, okay, darn it, I have to, have to think, you know, and come up with something smart. And the result of that was this whole, the impact investing initiative, because, right. you know, Rockefeller really pushed at it, and they turned to me and they said, um, Doreen, you have to go back and be an entrepreneur again. And I'm like, oh, God, I've done that, you know. And they said, no, 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 no. Go and do the impossible, um, like you are saying, and uh, we will support it. And I always say this was the first and last time in my life I got a blank check. 
And it was fascinating because, and this is the second part of the story is even more fascinating because I went back and I said, okay, so I'm going to create a social stock exchange. And this is the most impossible dream, but this is the really the beacon and we're going to work towards it. And I'm going to create the entire yeah. sort of the thing underneath that as well, the value chain of unlocking capital. And I went back, did all the numbers and put on my Wharton hat and and I came up with the number 495,000, which is, of course, very little. Right, right. And uh, so I went to them and I said, you know, okay, so it's 495,000. They're like, are you sure? And I said, yeah, I know, I know it seems like a lot, but you see, I've never asked for, you know, grant funding or anything. So this is, no, this is what, what I need. And so later on, and this is Anthony Buglevin, who was to be the managing director at, at uh, Rockefeller at that point, even to this day, he teases me about it. He says, we would have given you any amount, you know, and you yeah. asked for four ninety-five thousand. Yeah, half a, mil half a million dollars is not a yeah. lot for yeah, them. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, well, you know what? That's the money I thought I needed, and and I worked with that. And guess what? Eight years later, we proved that it can be. You know, we have done the exchange and so much more. Um, so, but you know, it's it's a there's a good ending to the story. So, Doreen, tell us a little more about what IIX, the Impact Investing Exchange, what are some of its component parts? You said you had to build the infrastructure. So what, what did that look like? What does it look like? Um, you know, we literally we literally had to create the road to travel on it. So, yes. Mm -hmm. So, as I said, we started off creating the exchange. And in eight years, we created an exchange. We created also um, in Asia and I think probably also globally kind of the largest um, equity crowdfunding platform um, where, you know, we, we are closing six to eight deals every year. And then we are also creating these structured products that can go up on the exchange, like the bond that we just closed. Yep. And then we actually also have a lot of interesting accelerators where we work with organizations, um, making sure that their social side is coming out and they're financially viable and they can give a financial return and then putting them on that capital journey. And so as a last component of that, also now we are creating a fund because, of course, in Asia, outside of India, there are very few funds. Mm. So and as an infrastructure for capital markets, you know, you need funds as well. So, Jareen, I want to highlight I want to get your opinion on something that I hear in the industry quite often, mm -hmm. which I don't know which is true. So when you speak with investors, mm -hmm. impact investors, they say there aren't enough quality deals. Mm -hmm. And then when you speak with entrepreneurs, they say. There, there's no one willing to invest. Mm -hmm. Where do you sit? Because it seems like you sort of are doing all of the above. Well, we sit in the middle, right? So, and then sometimes we are both. We're also investors and we're also the entrepreneurs. And the reason sort of being is because we are creating the market. So we mm -hmm. have to put on all the hats in Asia, which again, I think in the US, it's nice. There are many more players. Um, and I think what we see is a lot of times it is, you know, people are all sitting on the edge and you almost have to kind of make that first move to bring them into the circle. Right. And yep. that's exactly what we're doing. So we said, OK, you know what? Um, so you think that the deals are too small? Well, we have this structured deal where you can put up some more. Well, you think that you're interested only in investing in Vietnam? Well, guess what? We actually have some organizations who are doing X, Y and Z. Um, you're interested in just the financial return first. That's okay. But as long as you actually care about the social return as well, and then you can look at this, this, and this. So we actually, one of the big things we say is, along with unlocking capital, which is one of our pillars, and we do it different ways, the two other things we do hand in hand is one is knowledge management, where we actually go and teach as you know about impact investing and this being a part of a portfolio. 
um, because it is a part of your asset portfolio, right. and it should be for diversification. Um, and then the third thing is really bringing in stakeholders, and that is so important. One of the, I would say one of the most important component for us really has been to bring in the banks, the traditional banks and the traditional law firms, traditional accounting firms, et cetera, in every single deal we work on. And I think this really has been one of the key things because, again, impact investing is not some weird animal out there. Right. You know, it is literally another financial um, avenue, and everyone should be part of it. But you have to build out that network. I mean, talking about bringing in yes. all these different pieces, that's, that's a process in itself to mm -hmm. be able to not only connect all those companies, but I was thinking in terms of Asia, to be able to connect uh, – all these different entities within these different countries as mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. No, you're absolutely right. And I think one of the ways um, we did it is really having a lot more partnership, but then also, interestingly, um, writing a lot of papers about it okay. and writing um, articles about it. And this is, you know, I say when I started IAX, um, for me, the three things that I always say are the powers of the world is one is media. And, of course, we are here, you know, yep. <laughs> we are, we are, we are uh, Playing that up. Um, media, number two is finance, and, in, and number three is the whole development space. And all of these three is what can create an equitable society. So with IX, we really did that. You know, we brought in people in the NGO space. You know, we brought in people in the donor space. We brought in people from the financial markets. And then obviously, you know, in the academic side and then media as well. So I think it is, it really is building this infrastructure where everyone feels that they are a part of it, mm. becomes very important because, um, you know, if, and there's a lot of talk about impact investing going mainstream, if it is going to go mainstream, and it will, I think we all need to be equal stakeholders, right? It can't be something that some big organization sort of takes on. No, everyone, big, small, you know. Almost like it's part of the global economy yes, right off the bat. exactly. Yeah. And it yeah. has to be like that. Yeah. Um, because I do see, you know, and again, this is sort of where the idealistic side of me comes in. Um, the impact investing is really a space where people who didn't have a voice before in the financial markets, that they can come in and have a voice. Um, and as a woman, that was very important for me, you know, because, you know, women didn't have a voice in the financial market and they can have a voice now. Um, you can have kind of the marginalized communities. You can have the environment, which didn't have a voice in the financial market. They should, they can have a voice now. So it is a, you know, for me, it was just this wonderful thing that was coming together. You know, it's a, it's its own United Nations in some ways. So I guess, you know, why we're, we're also here is, is a new product that you've developed is, is this bond. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, one of, again, sort of from the investor side, we hear so much, not only are there not enough deals, meaning like direct investments into enterprises, but there's not enough product available. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and in my opinion, there's not enough product that has some accountability to it as well, to your point around like the impact part of it. Um, so I'm, I'm reminded of green bonds, mm -hmm. for, for instance. You know, they're a pretty mainstream product now. There's a I don't know what the market size of it is, but it's it's substantial. Um, and for those that don't know, it's relatively a vanilla bond, you know, just what most people would understand, but earmarked for a green type, you know, environmental sustainability project. There's not much accountability beyond just the earmarking of it. Yes. Um, some investors yeah. are starting to request more information, you know, once the capital is deployed. But um, 
I was more curious around, you know, if we understand that model, mm -hmm. where what's what's your bond about? Right. Um, and Nick, you just you just nailed it. And that's, you know, with Green Bond, once again, I think it started off um, with a great purpose. And I hope that, you know, it kind of goes deeper on that. Um, but it, it, it really is some of the things that you're hearing in the market is that it's not green enough. Right. So mm -hmm. it is literally things that would have happened anyway. They're just mm -hmm. kind of being earmarked as as green. But that's okay. I mean, for me, it's a, it's a start, and we can go deeper on that. What we did was there are several things. So, uh, you know, one of the things that we kept on hearing in impact investing is the deals are too small, right? So we would obviously be working with, say, bringing clean water to the rural part of the Philippines or uh, clean energy in, in, in India, or we will have, say, um, a healthcare solution, you know, kind of low-cost devices for eye operation, mm -hmm. you know, in, in remote part of Vietnam. So we would work on all this, but again, they're small. You know, the most you could invest is a million, two million. You know, that's it. And again, we would kind of do this whole equity crowdfunding. And we said, you know what, that is not going to, you know, it's just not going to move the needle. Mm -hmm. So we need to have bigger amounts of capital because if you think about capital markets, you know, it's what, it's about $75 trillion, right? Um and most of it's held by institutional investors. So they will never come into tiny little deals like this. So we said, okay, you know, let's experiment. How do we create a structure where larger amounts of money can come in? So that's what kind of got me thinking. And I said, okay, how about we pool together a group of entities and we will actually do the risk diversification in that pool. Um, and who are the ones who have the best uh, risk profile right now? in the space, and it's actually the microfinances in mm -hmm. Asia. So I said, okay, let's bring in a couple of the microfinances. They've been a track record of 30 years. Uh, some, you know, the ones which have not come into the market, and they're, most of them have not, um, and they're doing really well. And then we bring in some of the impact enterprises and mix them together and do kind of a risk analysis. And you have to understand, in the impact investing space, in traditional space, you look at risk and return. For us, we have to look at risk, return, and impact. So there are three right. angles yeah. to it, right? Um, so we had to make sure the impact side, we said it has to basically impact a substantial number of women. And we said about 400,000 um, women who would be basically getting a livelihood from this. Um, on the return side, it had to be high enough that we can actually say that the investors will be interested in it. So we ended up with a coupon of actually 5.65%, mm -hmm. so which was which is incredible in the Quite fixed income yeah. side, fixed in um, which is fantastic. And then the third is the risk, right? So what we said was, listen, these are really strong organizations. It's about a triple B, you know, kind of a rating. But guess what? We'll do even more than that. So we went to USAID and we said, um, would you actually come in for at least some guarantee? So they came in for 50% guarantee. Whoa. And then we did all this fantastic structure, uh -huh. right? And we had five law firms working on it, um, Sherman and Sterling, you know, worked on it pro bono, I did, I did Hogan Lovell, worked thousands of hours. So if you think about it, it has flavors of securitization. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to use the word, but it has a bad connotation, but using it in a good way. But then it was fascinating because we created this and we said, okay, now the investors should be all jumping in. And the investors started coming in and it was very interesting. It was mixed. Some people created, cared about the impact. Some people cared about, wow, it was really good return. Yeah. And then 50% guarantee. But then what was fascinating was a group of them sat there who said, no, that's not enough. You actually need to put in a first loss, which was hmm. fascinating for us. And we did. We did. I, I put in my personal money and the IX managing director, Robert Crable. So two of us put in our personal money as the first loss. We put everything. 
um, for the bond to close. But what it showed to me was the fact that we were put up, um, you know, in doing things which probably in the traditional financial markets we wouldn't have to do, you know, if it was a traditional product. Right. And so it's almost like a double whammy in terms of we showed everything in the financial side, but just because there was a social angle to it, all of a sudden people were scared. And hmm. this was something, the so we had two banks, you know, DBS, which is the largest regional bank in Asia, and ANZ, who helped us sell it in the public market. Um, and DBS was saying, you know, Doreen, if you just called it a high-yield bond, this would have been, been snapped up in five minutes. Because it was called a women's livelihood bond, Yeah. Um, all of a sudden, you know, it was, people were like, whoa, you know, hold on, are we going to, am I going to get paid? You know, what does it really mean? So what, hmm. so going back to your question, Nick, is we need structured products, but we also need education on the investor, investor side. The fact that, you know what, just because it's, it's about doing good doesn't mean that it's a, you know, some loosey-goosey product. So, so Dan, this is sort of interesting, and, and Doreen, too. Um, there's actually a professor here at Wharton who's sort of tackling some of these issues. Right. Um, her, her name is Deb Small in the marketing department. She's a dual appointment in psychology in the college here and marketing here at Wharton. And some of her early research would be around um, more like ph philanthropy and altruism, but she would give people a profile of two entrepreneurs – uh, entrepreneur A was, you know, pretty traditional. Entrepreneur B, same profile, but then described as altruistic. And everyone, or not everyone, but a good majority, majority of, the, yeah. of the experimental subjects said, I'm going to go with option A over yeah. option B, even though all things were the same. So she's wondering about the impact investing space. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. is it a marketing issue? Yeah. You know, what are the heuristics around our perceptions of these products? That was going to be the word I was going to say. Obviously, it seems like it was it was just as, as simple as a perception issue as anything as to why there was concern by some of the people of, of jumping on board. You're absolutely right. And I think, once again, I feel like, um, as we have seen in our equity crowdfunding, after the first one or two, then the sort of all the doubts go away. And I think that is, you know, I guess now the onus is on us um, to now have more products like this in the market and have more education, you know, around it. Um, and I think with that, I mean, we are looking to do our next bond here in the U.S. And uh, this is going to be a bond focused on women's health. And we are very excited about that because, uh, once again, another very tough uh, issue to tackle, but we want to bring private sector capital in, and I think we can. Well, that was going to be my next question. I mean, obviously, that's one piece to it, but what do you see the development of this being long-term? Obviously, this this next issue with women's health is, is one of the issues that you want to tackle, but where do you see this going? Well, I think for us, at least, you know, we have, as I said, our, the, the themes that that IX works with, for us, women is a big theme. And then also the environment is being the second one and the third being uh, sort of the disadvantaged community. So I think what we will do is, at least through our work, um, we will make sure these three themes are what we tackle right. as we are bringing uh, more and more products into the financial markets. So I, I, you know, I have a reason for this, but why start with women's livelihoods of all sort of thematic social impact areas. Why women's livelihoods? Well, because it was one of the toughest. And for me, also, it was one of the most important issues to, you know, if we don't have one half of the, you know, equation there, I mean, how do we move forward? Right. right. So I feel like, you know, we can be tackling everything under the planet, but, you know, it's right in front of our face, which is 
women are not part of the economy, so we yeah. have to bring them in. And then, you know, you can deal with other things. So, yes, so women will continue to be the, and sadly, it's still that tough issue, but it will continue to be, you know, our big focus. And part of that, I guess, is just the, kind of the landscape of what it is in, in Asia right now, correct? Well, in Asia or even here, right? Yeah. right? So yeah. I think the way we also look at it is very practically from financial perspective, we see where the gaps, right? So where right. are the gaps that actually capital can be deployed and then you can get a good return? And how can we actually be tackling that? And, and women is one of the you know big forces for that. For people that would like to find out more, uh, the website for IIX is? It's iixglobal.com. Great to meet you. Thank you very much for coming in today. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Thank and you, Nick, Nick, great having you here. It's great to be here. Thank you very much. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.